Ah, oh, mate, would you like to be rich beyond your wildest dreams? Would you like to be successful beyond anything you thought possible? Would you like to be able to walk into a car dealership and just buy any car? Would you like to have you know, people admire you wherever you go? Well then, uh, bet the over the Cowboys Titans game this coming weekend. I was just stealing a routine there from Norm MacDonald, but uh, I was listening to Coffeezilla talk to the Decoding the Gurus, and uh, Coffeezilla said he read this academic paper about how do you grab people's attention? Right? And how you do that is by subverting weakly held ideas. So there's no point trying to subvert strongly held ideas because people will just push back and resist you. But like, be like a Malcolm Gladwell. They subvert weakly held ideas. Right? We all have ideas about the world. And so you challenge, you subvert the weakly held idea. And that's how you, you know, grab people's interest and attention. I like it. Malcolm Gladwell's so useless. I, I know when I talk to someone who likes Malcolm Gladwell that, you know, I'm dealing with a midwit. Someone who doesn't have very good uh, discerning tastes. So, Kafi Zealand, the Coding the Gurus, are talking about gurus. And they're talking about self-help and how self-help is you know, largely premised on this one idea. If you embrace it, if you practice it, if you implement it into your life, it will change your life. And so I've really been into uh, self-help. So it's true. It's like, oh, this one idea will change your life. And it's also a premise for very you know, popular books such as Guns, Germs and Steel or The Dawn of Everything. Right? You get all of history in one book. Who wouldn't love to get all of history in one book? Um, but then I was kind of challenging that and thinking, okay, is there, is there an idea that will change your life? And so if someone had gotten me taking, you know, B-Forgan capsules 30 years ago, it would have absolutely changed my life. So yeah, there are situations and individuals where one idea will, will change your life. So all these people 35 years ago were trying to convince me to eat meat. They saw that I had this problem with chronic fatigue and they said, oh, you just need to eat meat. And if somehow one had gotten through to me, being able to phrase things in a way that I was able to hear, like that absolutely would have changed my life. It, you know, it took until I was about age 53 and I started reading Nathan Kofnis and his studies on the negative effects of vegetarianism, his paper on that. And, and that changed my life, even though I wasn't really able to do anything about it for I found my beef organ capsules. Uh, so I was reading about this TV writer, I think, for the TV show Scrubs. And she like claimed to have cancer and she claimed to have had an abortion and she had all these, and she claimed that her brother had died. She had all these false claims and she now admits that she lied. And why did she lie? Because when she got a hip replacement, oh, she got so much sympathy that uh, kind of got hooked on the sympathy. So I think we have to be be careful about the, the sympathy that we, we dole out because it brings out 
often the worst in people. I remember when I was 14 and my father was getting kicked out of the Seventh-day Adventist Church ministry, there was a Pacific Union College teacher who said, oh, you know, what will this do to Luke? He's going to drop out of the church now. And I thought, oh, yeah, that's great. You know, then I, I got a ready-made excuse to drop out of the, the disciplined, self-abnegating, humble life of service that uh, Seventh-day Adventism requires. So a friend commented about that Scrubs writer, oh, she should have disclaimed chronic fatigue syndrome. But let me tell you, as someone who has claimed chronic, chronic fatigue syndrome for about 33 years, you don't get any sympathy for claiming chronic fatigue syndrome. Like the wimpiest name ever. Alright, you want to get sympathy? Don't try chronic fatigue syndrome. Don't think, or I'm not sure you're going to get much for inherited trauma either. Don't think inherited trauma. Uh, you know, third generation Holocaust survivor. I mean, I know people talk about it, but I don't think in the real world you're going to get much sympathy for being a uh, third generation Holocaust uh, survivor. And then in the chat yesterday at this time, it was fascinating. There's this guy, J.M. Risatelli, and he wanted me to comment on Benjamin Netanyahu's plans to microscope Israeli children. And I totally failed as a pundit and guru and live streamer. I didn't have any opinion because I didn't know what it was all about. And so I withheld giving an opinion, uh, a steaming hot take, until I actually knew what I was talking about. And then he stalked off the show, got mad, so that I was dishonest because I didn't confront his question. Because I'm doing a live stream with just one phone. I can't investigate a story. I can't look it up and come to a determination about it while simultaneously doing a live stream. Like, I actually prefer to research things that I, I give an opinion on. And so he like stalked out saying I was being dishonest because I was doing a live stream and couldn't go investigate his claim. Uh, you know, I have one phone with me right now, so I can live stream or I can, you know, look up a claim about Bibi Netanyahu, the Israeli Prime Minister, wanting to microscope uh, uh, insert, you know, microchips into Israeli kids, but I can't do both at the same time. And this guy like took such great offense. It was, it was wonderful. But uh, <laughs> and then he's still coming back in the comments. You're being dishonest. Okay, so I finally looked it up, and so apparently, Bibi Netanyahu in 2020, in something like May of 2020. All right, he made some stray comment about how to enforce social distancing, that like maybe we should micro, you know, microchip uh, Israeli kids so that you know, a sound goes off when you get, get too close. Well, people just say stray comments all the time. I have even been known to say stray comments that are absolutely absurd. But they don't necessarily mean anything. So that was the point of the Jack Schaefer column that I read through read on the show yesterday about Elon Musk, that uh, just because Elon Musk or Donald Trump tweets something or says something doesn't mean it's actually newsworthy. People say crazy stuff all the time, so Israel has no plan and never had any concrete plan to microchip its kids. So what kind of person is obsessed with a stray comment by a, a politician about microchipping kids when there's never any plan and, and no realistic possibility of this happening? Like, why would you get obsessed with that? There must be like some significant payoff, and the significant payoff is that you 
are like all the sheep. You see how the world really works. Right? You are wise for the dark power. So you may not be succeeding at work. You may not be succeeding in love and marriage and being a parent. You may not have a prestigious position in your community, in your profession, even in your home. Right? Maybe nothing in your life is really working out very well. Right? Your, your dreams of status are completely unfulfilled. Like you find daily life, real life, work life, love life, family life, absolutely humiliating. Right? People don't respect you in your community. So how do you keep going, all right? Well, you're hip to how the world really works. You know about the new world order, right? You buy into these conspiracy theories because then you become a member of the elite, right? You can peek behind the curtain. You're the courageous truth teller. And so, if real life denies you prestige and status and or even self-respect, right? You can you can escape the challenge of real life. It's like some people who get excessive amount of graduate degrees because it's a way of avoiding reality. Or if you've got pressing problems, you distract yourself by trying to you know, change your spouse or change your kids or change people around you anything to distract yourself from uh, your, your own issues. And if you can buy into a theory that explains how the world works, if you've got the, the golden key that unlocks how the world really works, then you can distract yourself from your own feelings in life. I, I mean, I had a therapist who made this clear to me because I'm susceptible to all these things. Right? I talk about the things that, uh, that have resonance with me. And uh, back in I think 2015, 2016, when I was getting really hard right in my politics, my therapist made a great question to me. He said, uh, you think you're so extreme and hardcore in your politics because you're so passive in your life. And my therapist knew I needed to go out, get a better job, do, do more things to get my life going. And I think this is so common. The keyboard warrior usually compensating for a life of failure and humiliation and lack of prestige. So people become you know, harder, more aggressive, more assertive, uh, more extreme online, usually in a pretty accurate proportion to their passivity in daily life. So if you're just going through the motions in daily life, you're just kind of stuck in an 18 hour, $18 an hour job, Right, uh, maybe you're an incel or you're in an unhappy marriage, right? Nothing's really working out for you in real life, but you get your oxytocin or your serotonin or your dopamine. You get your dopamine from being a keyboard warrior, right? So, normal healthy person gets most of his dopamine from his real life. But online, you get to kind of create a new persona and uh, if things aren't really working out very well in real life, you can escape more and more to this second life that you have online and get, get your dopamine hits from, from being a keyboard warrior. And like calling out people for their dishonesty, for not immediately having an opinion on Bibi Netanyahu's stray comment about uh, microchipping Israeli kids. For which there was never any policy, never any you know, concrete plan for implementation. 
but uh, you you were hip to the the new world order and their sinister plans to bring us all under control. So there's also the payoff that you know if you're failing in your real life, once you have a good conspiracy theory like the new world order, then then it explains your lack of distinction. You know, it explains your lack of success. All right. So you know, no wonder you're not moving ahead in life is because you're being held down by these sinister forces. Now, I do think that they're, they're often like, you know, one idea at a certain time, certain place that can change your life. So, taking a few Alexander Technique lessons, you can learn how we all have habits and responses to stimuli of unnecessary tension and compression, forward head posture, excessive tension in the shoulders and, and the like. And it's no use just adding exercises on top of these habits. We have to start deleting these habits, noticing these negative habits of tension and compression and uh, noticing and then inhibiting them so that we can have a whole new level of freedom. So yeah, that's that's an insight that absolutely can change your life. And then, it's not a golden key, but I think it's the one social science insight that's closest to a golden key. And that is the replica replicability, the predictive power, and the explanatory power of IQ, right? For groups, you get you know, a large enough group, say you know, over a thousand people, right? Knowing their average IQ, that gives you a pretty good predictive power about how that group will do in life, how much money they'll make, what kind of education they'll have. Also, you get an accurate IQ test for, say, a six-year-old, you know what's possible, right? Six-year-old has an IQ of 90, they're going to need a lot of government help and family help, right? They're not going to graduate from university, they're going to really struggle to graduate from high school. Uh, on the other hand, if you've got a six-year-old, they've got an IQ of 120, then uh, the world's their oyster. They can become a doctor, a lawyer, a university graduate, uh, or someone with uh, you know, 100 IQ, all right, they're not going to be a white-collar worker in all likelihood. So there's a test that a six-year-old can take, and it pretty much gives you the parameters of what's possible for that kid. So that's one idea that's incredibly helpful. Uh, another idea that's incredibly helpful, I think that uh, different groups have different gifts. All right, so when you recognize that the gifts of Ashkenazi Jews are not identical to the gifts of the Japanese, which are not identical to the gifts of the Thai and the Afghans and the Nigerians and the Mexicans, all right, yeah, the idea that different groups have different gifts and that these are statistically verifiable gives you explanatory and predictive power. So, different groups have different gifts. One idea that can change your life, that uh, we develop responses to life that do not always serve us. And if we can notice the responses that don't serve us and uh, inhibit them and reprogram our responses to stimuli not serving us, there's an idea that can uh, change your life if you have ways of implementing it. Man, a lot of wind last night here, Kenham Sand, so I gotta put a lot of these plants back up. 
really interfering with my live streaming. So what are some, what's like one idea that can change your life? Or is, is there like any one idea that has changed your life? I think uh, going online and finding a community of people who are passionately interested about things that you're passionately interested in, particularly if you can't find anyone in your real life to talk about these ideas that you're passionately interested in. Right, so I think it was 1993 I was, I was introduced to the internet and I was desirous of you know, developing my Judaism and learning about Judaism, connecting with Jews, but I was living in remote Northern California where there weren't many Jews around. So the internet was like one idea that changed my life. And <laughs> it's become like the primary way I've, I've earned my living over the past uh, 25 years. Well, for many of those years, probably uh, half of those years, the, the internet's been the, the primary way I've, I've earned my living. So, yeah, knowing that you can find a virtual community for things that interest you when perhaps no one in your family, no one among your friends, no one in your real-life community uh, is interested in, uh, that, that can change your life. What are, what are other ideas, you know, one idea that can, can change your life? So again, it all depends on the individual and it's all situational, but I absolutely, I'm not a Christian, but I absolutely believe that uh, uh, converting to Christianity or buying into Christianity, which is something that can happen in one minute, right? In one minute, someone can surrender their old ways of doing things, embrace you know, the Christian gospel, and it can transform their life. Because if, if, did you see the movie, I think, was it Robert Duvall movie? The disciple or the prophet, uh, a wayward minister, and he gets into a confrontation with a very nasty man, and he pulls out the Bible and kind of talks the guy down in about two minutes, and the guy, you know, ends up sobbing. And so I absolutely believe that that can, that can happen. It can transform people. So people who have a very hard shell sometimes... A particular approach can help them open up and they can yeah they can get in touch with what's been bothering them and uh, they can get in touch with their own vulnerability which helps them to be you know, more sensitive to the vulnerability of others so yeah you can have emotionally corrective experiences usually that's going to come in the office of a psychiatrist or a therapist but occasionally you'll meet individuals so I was on a walk in Watson's Bay and uh, this, this psychiatrist was in town to learn oh, matrix therapy and he did some uh, did some matrix therapy with me just on this walk around Watson's Bay and uh, very powerful exercise about finding a through line in your life like finding a through line through your, your biggest current problems you know, your, your biggest uh, childhood pain uh, you know unresolved issues with parents finding a true line for all that and a way to transcend and, and move above your habitual responses that aren't serving you. So, yeah, I think you can have emotionally corrective experiences in a 12-step program or in therapy. So you can grok one idea. So I've learned many things in therapy. The dominant one, one idea that changed my life is that there are always more options than what I see. And I see all the time I encounter people who say, oh, I either need to do this or that. And there are always more options. But somehow, there's a human tendency to want to minimize our options in life. 
I think it's probably an economizing device on our energy and on our thinking and on our emotions to kind of narrow down the options that are available for us. But if you talk to someone, usually a therapist, and you're open to it, they'll show you there are many more options than what you think. So another thing that, one idea that I learned from therapy that changed my life is uh, when I was dealing with someone who was saying things that I took great exception to, therapist pointed out, why do you need to react? Right? Sometimes you do need to react, but many times it's better to do nothing. Sometimes it's better to do something, many times it's better to do nothing. So just having no reaction, I found, has often served me, me well. So that's something I insight, learned from uh, therapy that, that changed my life. Another time a therapist said, maybe you'll never heal until you put down your guns, you know, put down your self-defense mechanisms. That, that has forever stayed with me. Uh, another time, talking to a therapist about what I wanted out of my, my love life, and uh, the therapist says, that sounds like eroticized rage. And that was that term, as soon as I heard that term, it transfixed me. Luke, go to the border and live stream. Go to the border of what? I'm on the clock, mate. I can't just go willy-nilly wherever I want. Right? I am a servant of my employer. Right? I, I'm not just an autonomous individual just strategically choosing whatever he wants to do. I'm not just here to do what's best for the live stream. I'm on the clock, mate. I'm getting paid for this. Right? You, you think I can just... You know, freelance this watering, right? I have to, have to apply you know, tender loving care to these plants. Because if I don't do a good job watering, right, in these uh, central Queensland temperatures, right, it's going to show up right away. My, my slack work, my unconscientious work, my laziness, my lack of attention to detail will immediately be revealed. And you really think I then want to go home and have dinner you know, around people who know how slack and lazy, ineffective, you know, selfish, self-centered, inconsiderate I've been. No, I don't want that. I want to get all these plants properly watered so that my brother doesn't think I'm a slacker. And I'm over here bludging off my family. Bludging off sister, bludging off brother. Right? I want to I don't want to be a bludger with attitude. I want to be a bludger with gratitude. <laughs> I like that. Alright. What is the normal wage for your job today? It would have been 25 Australian 25 years ago. Um, yeah, I think it's uh, it's something like $30 uh, an hour Australian which is about $20 an hour American. So I was out here in 1984-85 and I had, the, I had the cleaning contract at the Boyne Island Shopping Center and I was earning about 40 Australian dollars an hour you know, right in that neighborhood. And I was able to read the newspaper, read books for probably a couple of hours a day like I had the, the contract, the cleaning contract and the uh, gardening contract for the, for the shopping center. Oh, that was a great job, mate. I didn't have a direct supervisor. I mean, I had to keep the stores, to keep the stores happy. I got called out one time. I didn't really scrub the female toilets with as much diligence as I should have. 
and I left this brown stain there day after day. And so by the third day, the store owner complained and the operator of the shopping centers like drove down to Point Island, like marched me into the toilet and, uh, and pointed out, you know, my slackness. Boy, that was embarrassing. It was the only time that happened, right? To the best of my knowledge, that was the only complaint that I ever received. Though they never did renew that kind of gardening cleaning contract again for anyone, so maybe they weren't so so thrilled with the arrangement. So main topic is like one idea that will change your life. I mean it can happen situational. You can have an emotionally corrective experience. I, I you gotta rub your nose in it sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I remember at a job where I had to summarize these transcripts and I just tried to take the easy way out and I had to be corrected I think on the fourth time right on the fourth time I finally got it but I had to be corrected four times on the proper way to summarize these documents I mean that is really slack it could always be worse that idea helped yeah people don't like to think about that, right? People, I think, isn't that the human tendency? We always want to think about, oh, you know how this could be better? You know, I could, I could meet an attractive woman and she's attracted to me, or you know, I could find ten thousand dollars, or um, you know, I could get a five hundred dollar super chat, or I don't know about you, but that's how my mind often works. You know, oh, you know what could make this this situation even better? Right. I think about what could make the situation better probably 10 times, 20 times, 30 times, 50 times more often than I think about what, what could make the situation worse. And uh, I think, find it generally in life, uh, things are more likely to go worse than, than to go better. Okay, what are... People love, right? People love the self-help of like one idea that can that can change your life. So, exposure to John Mearsheimer's Realism School of International Relations, I think that kind of changed my life. The idea that we're all locked in an iron cage together and there's no way out, right? That idea changed my life. Uh, I used to kind of buy into democratic peace theory, if only all nations became democratic. And I was really excited by Francis Fukuyama's end of history analysis uh, that came out in 1989 or 1990, that we're at the end of history. Now there's only you know, one type of uh, political organization that's going to be able to sustain itself, and that's liberal democracy. And I, I kind of bought into it, and it sure didn't work out right. So. Mearsheimer makes the point that even if nations are democracies, they're still going to have clashing conflicts of interest. They're still not going to know the intentions of the other power. And so international relations are inherently tragic, right? Because the more one nation gears up to defend itself, the more it's going to put itself as, as a threat to its neighbors. So that really helped. That was like one idea that helped uh, John Mearsheimer's School of Offensive Realism 
which can just be boiled down to this world and international relations can be boiled down to we're all locked in an iron cage together and there's no higher authority. There's no one we can call 911 and, and get help, right? And the, the primary duty of a nation state is to survive. So that completely changed my life. Also, understanding what an integral role dictatorship plays in democracy. That really changed my life. It was a paper by, I believe, two Yale law professors who pointed out that the United States president is essentially the same foreign policy powers as King George III. And that all functioning democracies have considerable dictatorial powers and a, a policeman, when he arrests you, he's essentially a dictator. Right? He wants to arrest you. There's nothing you can do about it. He has dictatorial power. And so just by declaring an emergency or an imminent emergency or a putative emergency, democracies can take away all your rights. And so there isn't this stark dividing line between autocracies, dictatorships, and democracies. We're talking about gradations. So recognizing that all democracies contain significant elements of dictatorship. Yeah, one idea to change your life. What, what's, what's one idea that uh, perhaps has changed your life? So realizing that dictatorships contain considerable elements of, that democracies contain significant elements of dictatorship. What is the clickbait title, Mr. Ford? Oh, the clickbait title is asking you what's one idea that's changed your life. So it's just reflecting on self-help. Okay, big difference. What is big difference between local cop and dictator of everything on a continent? Well, there's both a difference and there's an analogy, all right? So pointing out that two things are different doesn't mean that they don't also contain many elements that are similar. You, my friend, are an entire world. So when, when the cop stops you and arrests you, you know, that's akin to a dictatorship taking control of, of an entire continent if he has that power. The cop has that power, right? And if a dictator has the power to take to take uh, control of you and the dictator has the power to take control of the continent right, they may well exercise it so democracies are never just pure democracies just like people are never purely kindness or purely truth or purely bravery oh situationism that's another idea that completely changed my life I used to buy into the importance of developing moral character like you can just you can just you know, build your character like one brick at a time until you've created a, a sturdy wall of good character. And then reading John M. Doris, the philosopher, it's simply not true. Nobody is always kind, always true, always honest, always good. What we are is, at best, morality is domain-specific. So you may be honest at work, that doesn't mean you're going to be honest with your friends. If red pill you to tell her to change your mood, not a mind, what pill tells you to convince a dictator not to execute you? Uh, I guess the best best way is to to convince someone is appeal to self-interest. All right, self-interest doesn't dictate how people behave 100% of the time, but if you're a betting man, I would bet on self-interest. So. An economist, James Glickman, I believe, published a paper saying that people are driven by self-interest 95% of the time. So I tell my 12-step sponsees, if you can 
perhaps aim for a level of selfishness of about 90% instead of 95%, like that would be a vast improvement. So I think, yeah, the average level of selfishness and self-centeredness and self-interest is about 95% of our decisions. So that, that strikes me as pretty, uh, pretty good bet. Oh, so I was watching the new Alan Border documentary on the former Australian cricket captain on KO Sports. So I came out here in June of 1984 and the West Indies was just slaughtering England in a test series and they came out toward Australia. They had bowlers like, like a six foot seven garner and they would get such incredible pace on the ball. It was like absolutely murderous row of, of fast bowlers. And Kim Hughes, the Australian cricket captain, was an absolute disaster. Australia was getting rolled test after test. Kim Hughes was getting out for a duck. So becoming captain usually decreases your, your batting average. Because of the pressure of being captain, you're distracted. You have to make all sorts of decisions that you wouldn't otherwise if you could just concentrate on your batting. So Kim Hughes was getting out duck after duck after duck. And he's extensively interviewed in this Alan Border documentary. I'm thinking, what was the wider point? I wanted to make but uh, how exciting it was when Alan Border took over just like a really gutsy player his batting significantly suffered becoming captain man I had a, a wider point that I wanted to make and uh, it's completely left me oh, I was talking about situationism so Alan Border rose to the to the rank of captain he didn't want it he didn't want the responsibility he didn't want to be distracted from his, his batting oh and he was like so happy to become captain but then when the responsibilities started weighing on him. He was like Captain Grouchy. Right? That was his reputation, Captain Grouchy, because he was in such a bad mood. So you notice this often with people. They're very happy-go-lucky until their responsibilities significantly increase, such as they have kids or they get a promotion at work. If your responsibilities increase, benzodiazepine pill can give you the nose of steel needed to convince a dictator... Uh, I love just having like five benzodiazepines in my pocket. Like I haven't used one in probably five years, but just knowing that they are there, you know, knowing that you know, relief is there if uh, you know, I get into some crushing situation, uh, just knowing there's something in the bullpen, just like not drinking coffee regularly and knowing it's there. The new park in my city near doctors upper middle class has Indian Hindus playing cricket. They are invading. It's a beautiful thing, man. Uh, they're invigorating your, your tired blood. So where do you live, uh, media hits? Okay, so situationism. We're talking about ideas that, that change your life. So self-help gurus are always talking about this one idea can change your life and it's usually overselling. But there are individuals for whom that idea will change their life. There are individuals and situations for whom that idea will change their life. So John M. Doris's philosophy of situationism, that morality is domain-specific, uh, really changed my life because I am susceptible, solely susceptible to heroes. Yeah, just having options is a beautiful thing. So I am really susceptible to hero worship because I have narcissistic tendencies and the narcissist feels like if he can just situate himself next to someone who's truly heroic, that uh, you know the, the heroism and the greatness will, will rub off on him. So I'm very vulnerable to situationism. And so get into cricket. It's a beautiful sport, man. A lot more runs than uh, baseball. 
it's uh, so hero worship okay so situationism is great for a hero worshiper like me because then i recognize you know, that uh, yeah dennis prager was my hero but dennis prager is only heroic in certain situations just like you and me right there are situations that will bring out the hero in you right? you might save a president's life by you know diving at a gunman right but none of us are going to be heroic in every situation and so just recognizing that, that my heroes are simply heroes in certain situations. So yeah, Alan Border was a hero when I was out here in Australia. Came out for a year after high school and he was this gutsy, battling Australian cricket captain starting to turn around the fortunes of the team. And uh, yeah, I still praise Prager. Like I want to praise everyone when they do good. And so Prager has, has certain gifts. But half, 10% of the population in increase of Somalis. I didn't read the rest of the comment. I probably shouldn't read it on, uh, on YouTube. <laughs> but uh, so let's say you have a, a hero, say Alan Border, the Australian cricket captain. You know, then the situation isn't you recognize that he's only going to be heroic in certain situations. And someone who you think is just no good, well, there are going to be situations where they're good. Right? No one is ever just one quality. So just recognizing that morality is domain specific, that uh, some people are honest in business, some people are honest with their spouses, that some people are honest with their friends, some people are honest in church. All my heroes died from heroin. All right, so let's say you have a hero. I'll take that literally. Let's say you have a hero who died from heroin, right? They may well have been heroic in certain segments of their life. And like the rest of us, not so heroic in other segments, right? Because none of us are heroic in everything. Nobody's always brave. Nobody is always honest. Right? Nobody is always true. Nobody is always good. So it's a lot easier to deal when you have the situationist attitude because you recognize them for the good that they did and then you don't expect them to be good and amazing in everything. So I think situationism can really help. Right? You may have someone in your life who you regard as a truth teller, but there will be all sorts of situations in their life where they're not truth tellers. Right? We all tend to have a, an overly narrow conception of our friends because usually we only see our friends in, in one or two situations in life. And there will be all sorts of other aspects of our friends that we don't realize. Right? And so with situationism, we're not going to be surprised. So Luke Ford is a truth teller. Yeah, but I'm... I'm a truth teller in some things, but when when I get called out in something significant where there's a tremendous downside, where I could be you know, humiliated or you know, lose status, income, uh, you know, all sorts of bad things could happen. Right? My first instinct is to lie. Right? I developed that habit, and a psychiatrist explained it to me. There are a lot of kids who you know suffer. You know who get beaten right they develop an instinct of lying to to avoid being hit so i was hit a lot as a kid and so i developed you know, the habit of lying to try to get out of punishment and i'm now 56 years of age and i still have that immediate response to being caught out my immediate response is to always try to lie my way out of the problem and then if i can't lie my way out of the problem then then I try to tell the complete truth, but they're both just tactics. So often I try the lying tactic, 
and if that doesn't work, then I'll make a complete confession. Because I find people tend to be pretty merciful when you make a complete confession of things. So people tend to be much more forgiving if you admit what you did wrong. You know, you take full responsibility, you, you don't try to water it down, you don't try to blame someone else. Uh, I find people are really merciful, but yeah, they're both manipulation techniques. Luke only tells the truth when his back is in the corner. <laughs> and then the freak says, I'm the total opposite, I can't lie. Well, you may be self-deceived, right? There may be all sorts of areas, situations in life where you're lying, but you're not conscious of it, cognizant of it. Uh, you like explained it away, right? We're all incredibly self-deceptive. Oh, another insight that has profoundly changed my life is reasoning socially. Like recognizing how easily self-deluded I am and saying my ideas out loud to you and listening to your challenges and trying to meet your challenges or recognizing when you're right and when I'm wrong. So I think we all think much more clearly when we think socially. Think out loud, talk to people, talk to your friends, you know, talk on a live stream, talk on a podcast. Jocko Willick has a book on leadership called Extreme Ownership that discusses this. Jocko Willick is like Goop for Men. He's like Gwyneth Paltrow's website Goop for Men. I mean, it is so low IQ. I mean, I'm sure, as I understand it, I've read about his book and, you know, there are, there's some, you know, very time-tested and cliched, you know, approaches to power. You know, combined with some great stories from being in uh, uh, the SEAL team. But uh, uh, when you hear Jocko Willick talk on, on Joe Rogan, you just realize what a, uh, what, what a cliche, low IQ perspective he has. How it's you know, so similar to, yeah, he's a salesman. It's just, just so, oh, bloody hell. Look what I got to put up with here, mates. Here we go. No, that's not that's not the angle. Man, I'm trying to do a live stream. All these bloody plants falling over. It's, it's no good for my live stream. Oh, man. I'm trying to produce compelling high quality content and I give you one idea that will change your life. And these bloody plants keep getting blown over in the breeze. Really interfering with my live streaming. My job is interfering with my live stream. My life is interfering with my live stream. Okay, I'm back. Okay. So, social reasoning, right? Reasoning things out with other people. Like, 
They're watching arguments play out online. You know, let, let yourself be challenged by thinkers on the left and on the right, people in the center, mainstream media, distant media. Has Judaism had to contend with the plot of attachment to it? So yeah, there, there are probably plenty of rabbis in the Jewish tradition who believe in the flat earth. There are probably some very religious Jews who still do. So the most religious the Jew, the less likely they are to study secular subjects, including science. I know that Lubavitcher Rebbe holds that the, the sun revolves around the earth and that the earth is only six years, is only 6,000 years old. So Haredi Jews, generally speaking, don't hold with evolution and uh, modern science and they don't tend to have much uh, secular education. But it's not exactly a belief that holds you back in life. $30 per hour is too much. A sprinkler could do your job or some irrigation. Yes, it could, but uh, there are reasons that I won't go into. So yes, absolutely, a sprinkler could do this job, but I am now doing it for reasons. And so efficiency isn't uh, sometimes the only factor. I just told a lie during a meeting because I knew that it would result in the shortest possible conversation, that lie was of no consequence. Yeah, well, lying isn't always wrong. And uh, sometimes a white lie is, is the best thing to say. So I'm not someone who believes in radical honesty, right? Often telling the truth is just an excuse to be rude, to be antisocial, to hurt people's feelings. But uh, so reasoning things out socially, that, that's an idea that, that changed my life. Because I, I just I came to the realization of how capable I am of being you know, self-deluded. That I naturally tend to a vast overestimation of my own uh, abilities. And I absolutely have to you know, strap on my phone. And that's yeah, true, it's only a lie if you think it is. But I absolutely have to engage with other people to start thinking more clearly when they start pointing out inadequacies in my own thinking or like listening to thinkers from the left. So decoding the gurus or a couple of guys on the left and listening to them has you know, really challenged me because as a, as a natural, I think, genetic biological right winger, my orientation, meaning I, I regard hierarchy as normal and natural. You know, I expect that different groups will have different gifts that uh, traditional ways of organizing families and individuals and communities um, are usually better than newfangled ways. So I'm, all my dispositions are right wing. Have I ever been married? Nope, never been married. I am a 56 year old bachelor and I haven't even gotten close. It's uh, pretty sad. I've not been able to sustain any romantic relationship over a year. And I'm not sure that any of the women that I had relations with, uh, I'm not sure I would have been better off if I had uh, if I had married them so yeah when it comes to making money uh, building a family <laughs> getting married owning my own home uh, I haven't excelled in any of those areas like I've never made more than six figures you know I've, I've uh, gotten pretty close to six figures a couple of times but uh, I do, do pay my taxes honestly, but you know I've never earned over $100,000 in a year. Yeah, I make money. You know, I make decent money, but I don't make you know more than six figures. Which, if you want to have a wife and family, 
and uh, live in Orthodox Judaism, we really, really need to earn into six figures. I mean, it's possible, absolute minimum, to make it in in Los Angeles, you know, with a, with a wife and two kids, it's probably seventy thousand a year, and then you'll have to depend upon tremendous help from community. So. The subject topic is one idea that changed your life. So do you have any any ideas that have changed your life? Like have you so again it depends on the individual and depends on the situation. So there are all sorts of Luke is beyond marriage, but boys I will do my best when I get with Luke next year, says Jim Bowden. Well I was crippled by really poor health until 18 months ago when I got on the beef organ capsule. So now I've got my vitality and my health back. So now the world is opening up to me. I see a lot more possibilities. So I'm excited to see you know, what will unfold for me. But uh, throw down in the chat like one idea that changed your life. I'll keep nattering on about one idea that changed my life. Am I on Rumble? Yes, I am on Rumble. Rumble backslash Luke Ford. I'm on Odyssey. I'm on Twitter, Facebook. So situationism really changed changed my oh forgiveness. The power of forgiveness, learning to letting go of my grudges, like uh, doing doing a fourth step, where I came to one of the questions was what was my own role. In, in my troubles. So I had all these resentments, such as against rabbis who kicked me out of their synagogues, uh, and employers who'd fired me, and like girlfriends who'd cheated on me. Right, those, were, those were pretty close to the top of, of my resentments. And then I had the question, I mean, right now, where are these questions coming from? Okay, for a social perspective, is it, okay. Um, so yeah, this particular live stream was was inspired by listening to the Patreon version of Decoding the Gurus, their conversation with Coffeezilla. Coffeezilla was talking about how he went through a self-help phase in his life and he'd have these regular conversations with his brother and they'd always be sharing like, this one idea can change your life and they'd mean it half seriously. And then, uh, and then they just started cracking up. So I was thinking about, yeah, is there one idea that can and change your life and it depends on, on time and circumstance and what, what situation you're in. So there are a lot of jobs where it's really only hard work, diligence and intelligence that will enable you to succeed. That there's just no way you can BS your way through. So there are some jobs where you know, maybe a union job where you're, you're protected, maybe you're working for your family or whatever. Wondering how Luke, why he got I'll have to wait there. It's harder to see a lot of the comments. Man, my 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 work, <laughs> my family, my life is just interfering with my live streaming. It's <laughs> just getting in the way of doing these high quality <laughs> live streams. Okay, wondering how Luke you got kicked from multiple synagogue. Oh, that's because that's because at the same time. I was going to Orthodox synagogues, I was making my living from blogging about the pornography industry. And blogging about the pornography industry and attending an Orthodox synagogue, that's not a combination that uh, 
that works out. No, it wasn't because they found out I was Christian. But I'm now welcome back, all right? So now welcome back to all the synagogues. I, I quit my blogging about the porn industry back in 2007. So, yeah, you can be a convicted white-collar felon, and many Orthodox synagogues will still welcome you, still give you an aliyah, like call you to the Torah, but uh, don't be writing on the porn industry. You can, you can write hard R movies, you can direct hard R-rated movies with nudity and sex, but that's still considered respectable. But uh, don't do something disrespectable, like uh, blogging on the pornography industry. And that's not going to work out too well for you in Orthodox Judaism. But I can understand that. Like, it's icky. Right? If I found out that someone had something to do with the pornography industry, I would, I would distance myself. You know, I'm not sure that I'd want to be you know, praying with them at the synagogue. So there are some things that are so icky that once you just find out that one thing about someone, then nothing else matters. Because we have this like economizing device, I think, in our brain that if we don't know anything else about someone, you just hear one thing, it's just automatically disqualifying. You just don't want to know anything else. It's like, ugh. So there are like, there are a dozen, two dozen, probably there are probably three dozen, there are probably 50. If we, we sat, to sat down and figured it out, there's probably like 50 individual things about me where if I found out that someone, an acquaintance, you know, did or, or had, you know, this one particular quality that I have or done the, the thing that I did, that I'd just cut them out of my life. It's kind of humbling. Think like the 50 different things that I've done, that if someone else did them, an acquaintance, like I just cut them out of my life. So I have, I have multiplied the reasons why people upon just meeting me would just uh, <laughs> cut me out of my life. Is there a big undercover intellectual uh, movement in the porn industry aside from me? No. And I found I had a friend who made this point to me, like, you used to be so smart, you, know, you used to be so erudite. It has, really has a dumbing down effect. You know, I just, and, and you could see the decay in me. Like, my speech would become more crude. You know, I'd talk at inappropriate times about, you know, low jobs and you know, all sorts of other graphic things. Like, the decay was evident. People could see it within a few months. It uh, was off-putting to people. I would offend people at uh, parties. So, the movement, the porn, the porn world was very anti-intellectual. Just being around it made you stupider. I, I guess you got like sensory overload, and maybe you just hijack certain synapses in your brain, or you get such a big uh, you know, rush of you know, certain hormones that uh, it it did not conduce to thinking leisurely and at depth. So, similarly, if you have a job where you're frequently around attractive young women, it verges on the impossible being able to maintain a marriage, right? So, almost no married guy in Hollywood who's frequently around attractive young women is able to stay monogamous. So, the reason most people stay monogamous is opportunity, right? Almost all men will risk everything, everything for the chance of you know, sex with an attractive young woman. 
it's it's kind of sad but i mean that is the nature of male reality so if you want to stay faithful rather than trying to build up your moral character the best way is simply avoid situations where you will be placed in peril if you're consistently around young women then you're not gonna you're not gonna stay faithful all right i, I just know for myself if i'm just around you know attractive women that uh you know by, by force of personality um, I'm going to connect with, with some of them. And if I move into a phase of my life where you know, I don't have as much access, then, uh, then that's not going to happen. So it's access related, it's uh, situation dependent. So yeah, I'm pretty open about my life and yeah, I'd often offend people. With my, with my openness, but other people would be intrigued, and uh, so it's a mixed bag. But yeah, I find when I come from a place of, of realism and openness that uh, you know I get along better with people. You know, I'm less likely to put people off with with my arrogance. So, have I gone to any David Colstein, Gary Sinise, Kelsey Grammer, Friends of Abe parties? No, but I did go to Wednesday Morning Club. Am I using groundwater? I'm, I'm using captured rainwater. I'm not using city water right now. I'm not wasting city water, mate, while live streaming. This is captured groundwater. So we've had some good rains in Tenham Sands. So I'm being very ecological. So I know someone who won't shower like when she's staying with friends because she wants to save them on their water bill. But that probably come out to about 10 cents. So that's an insight that uh, often people go to ridiculous lengths in one area uh, when you know there are far more effective ways that you can be kind or generous or helpful with people than you know ridiculous sacrifice. Oh, another one idea that's kind of changed my life is recognizing that I tend to treat other people the same way I treat myself. So I used to try to be really hard on myself and generous with other people. That simply didn't work out. I just found that when I was hard on myself, I'd be hard on other people. Oh, the importance of state. So it's not alcohol, but pheromones that made you reckless. Uh, it was, well, this is connected. So I have certain friends who are very much into goals, right? They're setting goals for 2023 and uh, goals are very important to them and they believe in the power of goals and i absolutely believe that uh, goals can can help you but goals can lead you to take ethical moral and legal shortcuts such as if you have a goal of lifting a certain amount of weight you may deform your musculature you may do things that are bad for you even dangerous for you to achieve that goal of lifting a certain amount of weight while if you placed your primary attention on how you're lifting the weight if you're doing it in a way that is conducive to your best health and your best form you will likely not be able to lift as high a weight than if you are reckless tell the chat why they call it tenem sands i don't know someone left to google tenem sands but uh, like 60 70 years ago my grandfather owned like 80 percent of tenem sands and then they they subdivided it but as I walk all around Tenham Sands, there are all these streets that are named after my family. 
Right, there's a street named for my mother. Like there's Gwen Street, and there's like Alfred Street, the name of my maternal grandfather. And there's like Linda Street, named after my auntie. And you know, there's Booth Avenue, named after my my mother's family. So it's really cool to have that kind of connection where you're walking around a community and there are all these streets named after members of your family. So those of us who you know, don't just live in one area, but instead are incredibly transient. Uh, we, you know, we kind of envy those with more traditional ties, like it used to be and still is in many parts of the world, that you live your entire life within 10 miles of where you're born. And I just get intimations of that kind of life, that kind of rootedness, you know, that kind of you know, honest connection with other people. As I walk around Tenham Sands and see these streets named after my mother, and my grandmother and grandfather and uncles and aunties. Oh, state. All right, so a lot of friends who are really into goals and goals can be good, but they can lead you to take shortcuts and goals can lead you to narrow your perspective. I saw your friend Jim Bowden go bonkers on a live stream. His message was fine, but he kept yelling. <laughs> well, I once, I once found Jim Bowden so obnoxious that I banned him. Like I, I enjoyed him a lot, and he even came on my show as a as a guest. But uh, he, he he can be a bit much, and so eventually I banned him, and uh, he said he called me. From Australia, and we talked it out, and I unbanned him, and he's become a great mate. E. Michael Jones was disrespectful to Jim Bowden. Jim Bowden's a character, he's like, he's got an Aussie sense of humor, and so, like, Aussies like to, you know, cut down tall flowers. Like, Aussies like, like to take the mickey out of someone, you know, they love to puncture self importance. And so many Americans in particular kind of take offense at, uh, you know, uh, Ozzy is taking the mickey out of someone, which means to, you know, try to puncture their, their pomposity. But, uh, yeah, maybe Jim Bowden doesn't always read the room correctly. <laughs> maybe he gets a bit excitable at times. But uh, turned in such a good friend. Okay. Oh, so... Goals. The problem with goals is that they can narrow your vision and they can tempt you into making shortcuts. And so, while they're still good things, I think there's something, for me anyway, that's more important than goals, and that is state. So, I try to stay out of states where I'm running late or I'm desperate. <laughs> so, I almost miss my plane, the connecting plane from. Yeah, Jim Bowden is a Catholic version of Ultra T. EMJ said Jim Bowden is a worthless racist, not a real Catholic. <laughs> um, so, I always miss my plane to Gladstone from Brisbane, the connecting flight, because I wanted to avoid the high price of the, of the train from the Brisbane airport to the central business district. And so, I took all these connecting buses and then I, I ran out of money on my Queensland travel pass and I was following Apple Maps 
and uh, led me like it led me down this very dark road past the homeless encampment it's just filled with trash and there was nothing but a, a muddy road that was impossible and then on the side of the muddy road was this waist-high grass that I had to fight my way through and then started falling down the bank into the muddy road it's an absolute disaster I was so frightened of missing my flight oh, but so I try to stay out of desperate situations because I make often just really bad judgments. So I try to avoid being hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. So instead of goals, I put much more of an emphasis on state. Like it's really important for me as a recovering addict to stay out of states or tempt me into my addiction. So for some people, you know, a life of constant challenge and discomfort is, is the right thing. But... Uh, not for me. I don't think for recovering addicts that they they rather they need they need a life that's as comfortable as possible. Because the more extreme my discomfort, alright, then then the more likely I am to act out, right, to engage again with, with an addiction. So avoid being hungry, angry, lonely, tired. I make sure I have money in the bank. I have, you know, backups. I, you know, get get to places early. If something's important, I review it multiple times. I know that I naturally tend to lack uh, conscientiousness, so I try to back things up. So now it's very likely I will lose something. I recognize that. Uh, I recognize that I, I'm careless. So if I ever get an idea, I have to write it down very quickly. Because right, if I don't write down the idea, if I don't do the live stream in the moment of excited interest, I will lose it. So I tried to preserve my state of happiness. Like it's really important for me to be comfortable and happy as much as possible. So I'm a much better woman. I'm a much, much better woman. Did I say that? I'm a much better person. Most men thought women would buckle and cave in, chase and stop men from leaving the arena. No one expected women to go along with it outside of crazy cat types. Oh, women going their own way. Yeah. Uh, relations between the sexes don't seem to be terribly good right now. And I, I blame a lot of that on civil rights legislation. Like men can't go to, you know, men-only service clubs, right, because they've all been destroyed by civil rights legislation. There are fewer and fewer places where men can go just to be alone with blokes. Uh, men want to be with men and women want to be with men. And so men usually aren't pushing their way into women's only spaces except for, you know, a few trans. Uh, I think gay marriage has diminished the value of marriage to straight men, so we have less marriage, there are fewer relationships, uh, less connection. Oh, also because people have less and less in common, right, the more diverse we are, the less we have in common, therefore the harder it is to build relationships. And so people are more lonely and more likely to spend time online or watching TV or playing video games because they have less and less in common with their neighbors. So I think that's a major reason for 
a reduction in connection and, uh, and friendship. Okay, subject topic of this live stream, like what's one idea you've heard that's changed your life? So I get, reading Steve Saylor changed my life. Like I didn't want to believe that Steve Saylor was right, but in 1998 I read The Bell Curve and I immediately recognized that that's a pretty accurate description of reality. Blood and soil nationalism has changed population's life. Yeah, recognizing the power of blood and soil nationalism. Right? Just because an idea is not pretty, is not politically correct, is Roosh v. Grifting. I don't think grifting is a useful term. Right? There's, uh, Luke doesn't read and then he misdirects. Well, Luke reads more than probably 99.9% of people. And what you see as misdirection may instead be direction that's way too powerful for you to handle. So you want to claim that I'm misdirecting rather than confront yourself. So we'd all rather externalize our problems and say, oh, you know, that other person's the problem. He doesn't read, he misdirects, he misquotes. He's willfully blind. He's ignorant. Right, so many of us would rather become obsessed with what other people are doing. So Jason Kessler is back on Twitter dissing Beardson Beardley. So sad. Luke is on full display. Yes, I am on full display. <laughs> my strengths and my weaknesses. My mediocrity. The, the forward nature of my humanity is all on uh, full display. All right, name, name some ideas that have uh, changed your life. So one thing that I found is a useful heuristic for what books to read is to see who recommends the books. Right? There's, there's no one that I... I you know, have great respect for for their scholarly achievements who recommends reading Daniel Goldhagen. So the heuristic isn't 100% accurate. It's entirely possible that just because no one that I respect has recommended Daniel Goldhagen, you know, no scholar I have respect has recommended Daniel Goldhagen. He's, you know, this undiscovered treasure. But I find it a very useful heuristic. That, like, my life is limited. You know, I've only going to Maybe reading books, you know, statistically for probably another 30 years or so. So if I read a stupid book or a useless book, then I don't get to read a profound book or at least a pleasurable book. So I'm very selective in, in the books I read and I almost never read a book to please someone. But yeah, I'll tell you what, uh, Half Galician, if you really want me to do a book review on that uh, Daniel Goldhagen uh, book. Okay, Luke is annoyed with me of something I didn't say. Well, you can read my face. If I was annoyed, there would be certain tension patterns in my face that would give away my emotional state, right? You cannot be annoyed without simultaneously compressing, contorting your musculature and my face. There'd be all sorts of interfering tension patterns rippling up and down my face right now if I were annoyed. because you can't feel an emotion 
without a simultaneous no let me rephrase that every emotion is only possible with a certain alignment of your musculature right you have lots of upward direction going on in your life you cannot feel depressed right you cannot feel annoyed cannot feel angry without being in a certain alignment of your musculature you cannot feel happy you cannot have access to the softer gentler kinder emotions of gratitude and joy right without a certain alignment of your musculature so one of my priorities is making sure that my musculature my alignment my, my body is in such a state to maximize the softer more tender emotions the emotions of joy and gratitude i try to stay in an attitude of gratitude and joy i try to stay happy and happiness is only possible with a certain alignment of my body right you can't feel depressed unless your body is aligned in a certain way unless you have a certain pattern going on with your muscles right. so every emotion you have affects your body affects your muscular alignment and the realignment of your body and your muscles and the level of muscular tension you have going on right that affects your emotions and you can't think a thought without it affecting your body right so when i'm thinking all right i'm tightening you can't think without tightening up so most of the time i try to be in awareness rather than judgment I wonder if Luke will lose the weight before his trip back to LA. Will he attack the beaches? <laughs> yeah, I tell you what, I've been in uh, Tenham Sands now for almost two weeks and I have not had any ice cream. So I think I've lost a couple of kilos since I've been in Tenham Sands. So I'm swearing off the ice cream. I'm not thrilled with having a, a puffy face and a paunchy middle. So cutting way back on the ice creams and the desserts even though I've got this crazy sweet tooth and uh, definitely want to stay under 170 pounds which I'm at right now ideally I'd get down to 160 pounds which what I was at last time I was in Australia yeah and I'm doing push-ups so I do usually about uh, five sets of 30 uh, push-ups do them on an incline so that my, my feet are higher than my my hands do some pull-ups but definitely need to build my abdominal strength but anyway every thought you have you know, requires a tightening of your musculature but you have you know, some ability to limit how much you tighten when you think but you can just look at someone's face and pick up whether they're thinking because there will be tightening going on so I try generally to be in an attitude of awareness rather than judgment because that allows me to have the, the freest body, the freest muscles to, to be in my best alignment, to be you know, the most flexible and joyful. But there are times where you have to be in judgment. When you're in the present moment, right, you're also more likely to be free of unnecessary muscular tension. So when you're stuck in the past or stuck in thinking about the future, you're going to be tensing up and it's usually not going to bring out the, the best in you. Though sometimes it will be necessary. So, you know, staying in free and open alignment isn't necessarily, you know, 100% of the time the most important thing in life. 
but when you're in the present moment you are much more free in your body so what you think affects your emotions and your bodily alignment and your level of muscular tension your level of muscular tension and bodily alignment affects your emotions and your thinking and your emotions affect your bodily alignment, muscular tension levels, and your thinking. They're all constantly interacting on each other. And so I put a very high priority on state, like trying to stay in a happy state. So I regulate my social media use and the people I bring in and out of my life, you know, according to, generally speaking, what's for my best, what's for my happiness, what's what's conducive to my, to my best self. So, I put more of an emphasis on state than on goals. And if I'm in a good, happy, flexible state, then I tend to make better decisions and I tend to get along better with myself, first of all, and with other people. So if I can just, as much as possible, stay in an attitude of gratitude, think about the people who have been kind to me, right? Kind of keep that feeling alive, that thought alive, then I tend to be much more in reality than when I get lost in resentment. Luke, get off the pies and the ice cream. You've got a God-sized hole inside. So if you guys started listening to that Helen Lewis podcast series for BBC Radio 4, The New Gurus, it's pretty good. I just started listening to it. It begins with an analysis of uh, Russell Brand. But in our secular age, people still want community and want direction. So I think we also have a need for heroes, or at least role models. It's, it's a lot easier if you want to succeed in a certain area of life is to check out the recipe that other people have used to succeed in, in life and then just follow that. So having a guru or having a role model is useful certain times and places, right? Because they may have a recipe for success in certain types of business or you know, success in some part of you know, social interactions that, that you want to gain. So role models have you know, genre-specific uses. Okay, name one idea that has uh, changed your life. So for me, it was recognizing the vast extent to which I contributed to my own problems. So I had all these people that I resented, uh, recognizing my role in those resentments. Uh, that was life-changing. That just significantly reduced my level of resentment right there. When I was able to reduce that level of resentment, I also felt, felt freer and easier in my body. So a lot of good things came from that. Oh, another thing that changed my life was... Uh, hmm. What's that instrument I put on my temples every night? Helps me sleep. Uh, not the CPAP, but the CPAP changed my life. I, had a, I didn't bring my CPAP with me to Tenham Sands, so I'm not getting nearly as the quality of sleep that I had in Sydney, let alone Los Angeles. Uh, the Fisher-Wallace device. All right. It sends, it's approved by the FDA for about 10-15 years. Uh, really reduced my underlying depression. So 
uh, the Fisher Wallace device, absolutely life changing. People around me noticed I immediately started seeming happier after I got that. So I had over $50,000 dead at the time, it was 2013, but I still lashed out with about $600 for the Fisher Wallace device and uh, got, a, got a good payoff in happiness levels and you know, reduction of underlying depression. Uh, getting on Modafinil, that was also life changing. That was, was like 2013. So tends to blunt the darker emotions and tends to leave one with a level of mild euphoria. And it's been around since the 1970s. So it doesn't come with any significant uh, negative side effects. Just makes your urine stinky. That changed my life. Half Galician going hard. So it's important to have people in your life who go hard at times. You have to be in a space to receive it. But uh, obviously I think much more clearly when I'm being challenged by Half Galician, by Art Bell, by everybody else. And also people have expertise that is frequently domain specific. So someone who is wise with regard to say Christian theology is not necessarily wise in matters of accounting or, or politics. So knowledge, expertise is obviously domain specific. So this show was inspired by decoding the gurus talking to Coffeezilla. Coffeezilla laughing about his self-help phase where almost every day he was coming up with an idea that was advertised as absolutely changing your life. And I had a girlfriend, Holly Randall, she would just mock self-help books. I've, I've read hundreds of self-help books in my life, but my ex-girlfriend, Holly Randall, she would just mock them. She said everything you need to know is in the great literature. So she majored in English at UCLA. She loved books, but she would not read self-help books. And so given the hundreds of self-help books that I've read, you know, probably Holly was more right than wrong probably would have been better off investing in uh, reading the great books rather than self-help books. Oh, another thing that changed my life was uh, voice lessons. So learning to speak and to enunciate and project without strain, right, that was life-changing. So I took those about four years ago and then checking out Roger Love's videos and exercises on, on voice. In, in the last few months, that's also helped me significantly. I think uh, there are people in the chat complaining that I'm not engaging. I'm working, bro, I'm working. And in this light and glare, I can only see about one quarter of the comments that are flowing through this chat. But uh, let me put down this hose. Let me, let me give the chat the attention it deserves. You've been so faithful been so kind to give feedback, inspiration. Let me take off the old sunnies. Let's have a nice leisurely scroll through the chat. Let me find some shade here so I can actually read what you're writing. And once the next chat comment comes through, then I can scroll. Okay. King Ford, ruler of the gardens. Can the press scare off GOP from backing Trump? No, I think the press wants Trump because 
Um, he's so exciting and he will bring a lot of attention. Competence is domain specific. G factor suggests otherwise. All right, the G factor for intelligence, all right, the more intelligent you are, the more competent you're going to be in you know, many different domains. Still, I hold with both. All right, G factor, very important. And yet, expertise is usually domain related. So, people who are strong in accounting and not necessarily wise about Christian theology. Explosion of right wing chatter about Ron DeSantis, not Trump in 2024. Trump is old news. Yeah, well, the problem with Ron DeSantis uh, is that he's not charismatic. Half Galician says, I'll change subjects so Luke re engages with chat. So we tend to personalize what's happening in the world and on chat has absolutely nothing to do with you. It's a fact of watering and looking into the glare makes it very difficult to read the chat. Luke doesn't engage when thing gets intense. He counter signals with banalities. Well, I've been doing these live streams for seven years. You be the judge. You'd be fine in California for no spigot on that hose, bros. I'm using ground. I'm not using groundwater or city water. I'm using recycled water, mate. Oh, half Galician is so generous, saying that my fate is in God's hands, not his. No, he's talking about E. Michael Jones. I misread half Galician. Uh, Half Galician says, Jim needs to know how little he knows. We all need to know how little we know. The world is far more complicated than we can figure out. So I'm sharing my delusions while you share your delusions. I think we can expect cozy shows from America First Nick Fuentes soon. The Yay Bromance went away. Yeah, Kanye West has just gone quiet. All those people invest in Kanye West. Lionel says Trump is not doing the things needed to run in 2024. Good article in New York Magazine by Olivia Nuzzi about Trump's pathetic campaign. But uh, Trump has often been pathetic and then turned things around. Jim Bound says E. Michael Jones is not a Catholic thinker. He's a businessman making dollars from touchy subjects such as Jews. And one hour behind playing at 2x says Art Bell. Half Galician says, I presume about Catholics, they have no interest in anything other than rights, adoration, and passion. That's not true. Catholics are complicated. There's not an essential Catholic, just like there's not an essential Jew or an essential Muslim or an essential black person. Russell Brand is doing a lot of videos on Rumble, seems to be getting some shine. Yeah, he's saying things that are very popular, but I don't find much quality there. But I quality in Russell Brand's videos, I do like uh, Rumble. Uh, e. Michael Jones has a gift for phrasing. He has some very catchy, compelling phrasing. Half Galician says he knows the Catholic Catechism better than E. Michael Jones. I would be skeptical of that. So, I don't you have to put people in the correct genre. So I don't think E. Michael Jones is primarily a historian. He is a, a polemicist, right? So if you're a scholar, you regard all polemics as cute. So put, put uh, E. Michael Jones in the category of polemicist. He's not primary, primarily a historian. Any news from Israel? Just that the uh, new right-wing government has taken over they're going to lose the allegiance of many American Jews. It's going to be difficult to maintain you know, high levels of American support. 
Jim Baum says, I've never met or talked with E. Michael Jones. I read some of his books. I do not agree with his universalism. Luke, you read things wrong. That put you in a bad state, not my intention. Luke, you got jarred or took, took something wrong. Uh, and I think I'm uh, terribly upset or bothered or hot right now. 40 ranting. Yeah, I've been doing a live stream while watering for an hour and a half. This is not some careful scholarly production. Forney lost 100 pounds in the last year, doing a reading in Brooklyn to a captive audience surreal, some pill eaters channel. Kanye ships Nick Fuentes back home to the fallen basement king of McDonald's. 70 pound bicep curls on each arm. You do 110 dumbbell presses, wow. Herschel Walker forward, yeah, following Herschel Walker's routine doing pull-ups and push-ups. Luke, bro, you have some jowls coming on. Yes. And my reading book's not available on Audible. Well, many times I prefer to read a book. Audible's a backup for when I'm walking about and can't sit down reading. My preference is to read. Audible books have their place. Half Galatians says you got to get to the Torah and get away from the Apostle Paul's pagan rage. In the Torah, Hashem is slow to anger, easy to pacify, though there are some sections that would give you a very different perspective on God. So there's not like the Hebrew Bible presents one perspective on God. Half Galatians says Paul is a rage-filled person. Well, there are plenty of rage-filled sections of the Hebrew Bible. When the, when the cow pills run out, Luke will crawl back to Blue Tank, California. Luke is fickle. Luke is very emotional and is into experts. Did I see the latest Matt Forney video? No, I haven't. Good thing about Luke, unlike other people, is that he can argue on a whole game of subjects in a civil way, yet he respects others with different opinions and views. That's why I respect Luke. Thank you, Jim Bowden. I hope so. Am I on Twitter? Yes. Uh, backslash Luke Ford, I believe. Woes had JF P on. So I heard the quality of Millennial Woes' late 2022 streams. Millennial was not high. At least that's uh, Stephen James's complaint. Here's my million dollar idea, a snorkel blanket. It's a blanket which you cover yourself completely in cold weather with a snorkel-like mask which provides fresh air. Luke is now engaged with the land. Yes, I'm on the land of my ancestors. I haven't met up with that Hispanic uh, lady, Della, who I interviewed on my show. Haven't haven't reached out to her. Kim J says there's no such thing as IQ or race. Okay, uh -oh, the boss is coming. I gotta run. The boss is here. Bye-bye. Oh. I just disconnected you.